Father, we pray that this evening, as it's humanly speaking more difficult to speak and listen, that you'd have us be hearers of your word. Lord, thank you that you speak by it. And Lord, we pray that we might come to see the glorious news of what happened on the cross this evening. Amen. Well, we've spent the last few weeks looking at the cross and asking that question, what happened at the cross? And as we've looked at its different functions, that's what we've been doing, asking for the person who trusts in Jesus, what has the cross achieved? And maybe as we've done this, as we've looked over the last couple of weeks, the questions crossed your mind, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why did it have to be like this? Why did Jesus have to spill his blood? This evening, we're going to look at Christ, the slain lamb, and we're going to see why it had to happen and and how it did. And we're going to keep looking at that um, passage in 1 John. So it'll be really helpful if you've got access to it. We'll throw up the verses on the screen and for you to keep looking at it. Why did it have to happen? Well, because God takes our wrongdoing seriously. Have a look down at verse 5. It'll come up on the screen. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. Light cannot have darkness. God cannot have sin. See, when you look at the sun, it hurts because it's so bright. But when you look at it, you couldn't possibly say there was darkness. You'd never say that the sun was dark because by definition, the sun is light. God is good. It's part of his character. In fact, his attributes are identical with his essence. You see, when we say someone has good character or someone's character is good, what we mean by that is on the balance of probability and by and large, they're quite a nice person. But God is holy and completely good. Now, sin is anything that undermines God's good position, anything that undermines God's good character, his good design whether that be in the things that we think or the things that we say or the things that we do, where we reject God and his goodness. That means he can't have sin near him. God will remain completely good. So he must do something about sin. I don't know what you make of social distancing, the, the, phenomena that's taking the country it's obviously a measure that's been put in place by our government to suppress the spread of infection why because the virus is offensive and people treat it like that rightly so it's serious you see it when you walk through the shop people are maintaining two meters people are taking a wide berth Round each other, it, it gets a bit awkward sometimes. You try and have conversation with people from afar. But just watch when you're in the supermarket and someone coughs. That gap just gets bigger. Why? Because when we can see something that appears to be the infection, it's even more offensive. Maybe you do that as you walk around in public. You think about who looks like they might be infected and you steer clear because you don't want it near you. God 
is completely perfect. And he must be separate from sin because it's offensive to him. It can't possibly exist near him. Sin is offensive. I wonder, do we take sin that seriously? C.S. Lewis wrote, the bad psychological material is not a sin, but a disease. It does not just need to be repented of, but to be cured. And by the way, it's very important. Human beings judge one another by their external actions. God judges them by their moral choices. See what he's saying? Human beings judge one another by external actions. That's why at the moment coronavirus is so potent because you can't necessarily see if someone's infected. You can't possibly make that judgment. And that's why sin is so potent because you can project the image of being a lovely person and yet riddled within you, riddled within me is the deep desire to make the whole world about me, to undermine God and his goodness. Which were you more bothered about this week? Being distanced from sin or coronavirus? See, sin is serious to God. Is it serious to us at Town Church, Vista? When we come to the cross and we look at this question of what's happened, we, we can ask this question, why did Jesus have to die? Well, we can ask the same question, do we take sin this seriously god is light in him there is no darkness at all that means actually if we continue go on walking in the darkness we continue to rebel against god we cannot be near him look at verse seven if you, six if you've got it there if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not live out the truth. See, it's not possible for God's people to just have fellowship with him if we consistently choose to walk in darkness. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Sin is offensive. Something ha had to be done about it. That's why the cross had to happen which is where we come to secondly in our passage. Look at verse 7, it'll come up on the screen. The blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. Well, why is it blood? Why did it have to be blood? Why is Jesus shedding his blood? Why is that the solution to the problem? Well, it was the way that God set out to rescue his people. We, we saw it in Exodus 12 in the Old Testament in the account of the plagues of Egypt. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you might remember those 10 plagues. You'll remember the scene, maybe, of um, them coping in the 10th plague. See, this was God's judgment on the nation's rebellion against him. Death was the consequence of that rebellion. Blood must be spilt. Here's what God says to his people, Israel. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. 
on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. See, this was God's plan to rescue his people from the judgment. The blood of the lamb is spilled in the place of those who trust God. They trust in God's word and they trust in his rescue plan. That the lamb would take their place. Now that sacrifice points forward to the ultimate sacrifice of blood. The ultimate slain lamb. That Jesus takes our place as a substitute. Because we see that Jesus is the slain lamb. In John's uh, first volume, his gospel account, as he wrote an eyewitness account of, of what Jesus was like, what he did and what it means. He accounts how John the Baptist introduces Jesus in John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God provides a way for his people's sin to be dealt with. He would still punish by death. Blood would still be spilt. But instead of ours, it's the perfect lamb. Something had to be done. Death is the consequence of sin and rebellion against God. But Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin. Now, trusting in Jesus' blood doesn't just mean painting out on our doorposts and forgetting about it. It doesn't mean just accepting it once and not living in light of it. You can guarantee that the families that were gathered round the firstborn son that night in Egypt, they'd have clung to the firstborn son. In fact, here's a picture from the Prince of Egypt. Now, they'd have been desperately trusting that the blood on their doorpost took the place of that firstborn son. It would be in their minds. They couldn't forget it. God gave his son, Jesus, as the ultimate Passover lamb, that we might cling to it and let it affect every part of our lives. That's why in verse 7, John says, those who walk in the light. It's an active thing. Letting the truth about Jesus shine a light on every area of our dark hearts. Expose it, that it might be taken away or the word used in the verse, purified. I wonder, are you eager to let the truth of the gospel expose areas of sin in your life? I had a great time talking with a friend this week about the joy of, of just that, letting the gospel expose us. Sometimes it can feel like a painful process. Sometimes it, it feels like we're just becoming more and more aware of, the, of our sin. But the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin it washes us clean so that sin doesn't belong here anymore so it's a joy to be made aware of things in our life that that don't belong anymore it's being exposed because it doesn't belong here anymore is that how you live 
Is that how I live? Like sin doesn't belong anymore? Are you eager to recognize it? Or when you lose patience with the children this week because yet again they won't tidy the puzzle away? Or they still want to go to the park? When you're selfish around the house with your husband or wife because you're starting to fall into this self-centered coronavirus lockdown? Or when you fall back into past sins because these are unprecedented times? Or when someone rightly points out that the way you spoke to them made them feel undermined. At that moment, do you just groan, roll your eyes and say, well, that's just how it is. In that moment, will you tell yourself that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin? It it doesn't belong here anymore. It doesn't need to be like that. The blood of Jesus His son purifies us from all sin. Jesus' blood washes us from sin. But how can we be sure that it purifies us? Have a look at verse 9 coming up on the screen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe as you're listening in, sat at home, you're feeling some sense of guilt. If sin really doesn't belong, Well, why does it happen? Maybe even some of those scenarios that I've talked about from the past week, they give you a pang of guilt from the last few days. Or maybe you're gripped by shame of something big that nobody knows about. How can we be sure that Jesus purifies us from all sin? Well, here's why. Because on the cross... Jesus, the slain lamb, shed his blood and God's standard of perfection is upheld as sin is dealt with. See, God's not going to let you into heaven just because he's really kind, because he's perfect and he must uphold his standard of perfection. God's not going to let me into, into heaven because he knows I was a bad lad, but He can see that I'm really trying now. No, because his standard is perfect. God is light. There is is no darkness in him at all. No, he won't let us into heaven on that basis. But look at verse 9. He forgives us our sins on account of his justice and faithfulness. Read it. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, God will welcome us into heaven and uphold perfect justice because it is paid for by Jesus' blood. Jesus has settled the matter. Look, this is what it says in Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See. We don't need to appeal desperately to God in hope that he might have mercy. The matter is settled. We can have absolute certainty. Maybe you're listening in tonight and a friend has sent you a link through this week. They said, come and join us, hoping that you might hear something of this offer. Maybe those words sound attractive to you. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. If that's you listening in, God is saying to you, come now, let us settle the matter. Because if we confess our sins, sin is dealt with. Would you do that tonight? I don't know if you've ever had the feeling of, I shouldn't be here. But you know, when you're in a place where you just obviously shouldn't be, and you can't relax, you're in fear of being found out. When I was a teenager, I used to take the train a lot more than I do now. I got pretty familiar with um, things on the train, ways to uh, sneak the system, how to get cheap tickets, things like that. Now, there was one journey that that sticks out to me I remember it well it was a long journey and um, the long journey was ahead of me I stepped onto the carriage and the carriage was absolutely rampacked I happened to stand onto the car in in the carriage that was right next to first class now I stood in a jam-packed carriage but not very long looking around and looking into first class before I made a quite easy decision I was gonna try it now what I did was I saw there was a guard or, or trip ticket officer, someone nearby the door, but I knew of, because of the train, there must be a toilet the other side of first class. So I kind of blagged it saying I was going to the toilet. And on my return trip, I didn't quite make it back as far as I was meant to. I uh, perched in a lovely big um, seat, sat back enjoying the space with nobody around me, a free newspaper, and then the waitress came and gave me a uh, coat. I sat back in my long journey, ready, all nice. It was bliss. Until it suddenly hit me, I shouldn't be here. I couldn't enjoy my comfy chair or my ice-cold coat. Instead, I just had a deep sense of guilt, fear that I was going to be found out to be the fake that I really was. Shame that I'd tried to manipulate the system. So much shame that I was desperate to stand up and leave, walk down the carriage and get out of there. And I would have done if it wasn't for the fact that it would draw attention to the fact that I was a complete fraud. So I went on pretending, hoping, desperately hoping that I wouldn't be found out to be the fake that I was. Maybe that's how you feel about being a Christian. Maybe that's what you imagine heaven will be like. You're desperate not to be found out for the fake that you are. But look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. See, when we confess our sins, we're appealing to God to forgive us. We're not covering up. We're not pretending. We're not being fake. No, we belong. God upholds his perfect justice, and this is where we belong. God won't just overlook sin. No, he'll uphold his perfect justice, and he will forgive. It's the biggest relief to be able to go to God and not try and put on a face, not try to pretend not try to cover up guilt and shame, but trust in Jesus' blood, knowing that God will forgive us on account of Jesus' blood. So as we close, what does that mean for today? 
what does that mean for us now in light of coronavirus? The reality is you might sit this evening in the most uncertain time of your whole life. This week might have been the week where you lost your job. You might be in the coming days about to go on furlough with no guarantee of getting a job back when you return. Your company might be sinking, making no money. You don't know how you're going to pay the rent, pay the mortgage. You might feel like that pressure, that uncertainty just won't leave your head. But when it comes to the most important thing in the whole of eternity, our position before God, we can stand in absolute confidence on account of God's character because the work is done. Yes, our sin is offensive. God cannot tolerate it. But Jesus' blood washes us from our sin, and so sin is dealt with. Tonight, that can be the most freeing and certain hope. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus died on the cross in our place, that his blood might mean that we are clean before you. Father, we thank you so much. And we pray that that might shape the way that we live this week. Amen.